Bud, eight quarts of antifreeze. Stat. <laughs> Kelly, let's section. Bet you haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> I'm gonna hook up the scope. Aw, oh, damn. Her pressure's low. Bud, three quarter inch socket wrench. I said three quarter. Stay with me here and get out of my way. Try to start the car. Bud, cables! Clear! Nothing bad. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No man presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. Down here in Australia, where the jungles are friendly and the women are easy to hide in. Or is it the other way around? Um, hmm. Anyway, my name is Bundiana, and did you guys know that the possum is the only indigenous marsupial to North America? Well, I didn't know that, um, Bundiana. Well, but on another note, uh, my name is Matt, and I'm pleased to report that my car, Kelly Epona, her air-fuel ratio is a healthy 110 over 75, so better than our Bundy Dodge. And this is me, Chris, from Australia. My familia. I'm a poor man. A needy man. Known is, is my name. And I'm here to tell you that, uh, you, you know, I, I work in a food court. And I need a, I need a part for my food. Uh, for my dodge, in fact, <laughs> I need, I need, yeah, I, I, I need a few, I need a fuel pump. Well, maybe we can find you one. So yes, this is the Married with Children podcast, as I said, and this is Team Australia's first episode for season eleven, and we are reviewing Requiem for a Chevy Weight, Part One. Originally aired November tenth, nineteen ninety six. Written by Steve Faber and Bob Fisher, and directed by Jerry Cohen. Guest cast. Rick Overton as Dr. Fisher. Cliff Bemis as Al's dad. Hannah Swanson as Young Kelly. Robert A. Bowen as an uncredited voiceover. And Lucky as Lucky the Dog. A brief synopsis on IMDb, courtesy of somebody in Finland. Al's beloved Dodge is fading away. Through a frantic emergency operation, Al manages to stabilize the Dodge's condition, but it still needs constant life support. He is unwilling to let the Dodge go because he has fond memories of his father and the car, so he calls for a car doctor who sees that the Dodge needs a fuel pump transplant. Since those fuel pumps are a rarity, the doctor suggests the car be harvested for spare parts instead, which would sell for a high price. This, of course, is completely unacceptable to Al. While he fights to keep the Dodge alive and looks for a new fuel pump 
Peg and the kids already start auctioning the spare parts. The Bundymobile takes a turn for the worse. Cars are lost costs. So is my family, but you don't see me giving up on you. <laughs> on an all-new Married with Children, coming up next. There's a lot of words in that description that have been put in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> I, think they're, I think they're trying to make a point about cars and they're not people, so they cannot have operations. But as we see in the, in the first scene after the opening credits, they do a pretty good operation scene. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that uh, I actually never, I, after watching this episode, I actually kind of did some research into the whole, um, uh, you know, American cars in Cuba that, that's that been stuck in, in Cuba since the 1960s. And and, and it's actually very interesting man, that there is a lot of politics that goes on in this episode in, in terms of, uh, you know, how they talk about how... Uh, there were like a lot of the old American cars, I think, uh, since the 1950s and 60s that are actually in Cuba and 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 the whole uh, the Cuban infrastructure relies on this because because I, I didn't know about this. And, and that, that's just the great thing about married children, that there's so much about the American culture that as you and I, we, we are like Australians and we, we don't know a lot about the American culture and the American politics, but we kind of learn all that stuff by watching this show because, uh, you know, because we are we are not familiar about about all these things that actually happens in the in this show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of because we get so much American pop culture in TV shows, and this show in particular, I've learned so much about America and, and things like that. I agree. Uh, I mean, yes, I mean, well, Married to Children's taught me a lot, but so have other TV shows. And uh, for me personally, I think my uh, my second oldest friend, me, me, being from America and living here, lived in Australia since we were both seven years old, would have contributed too. So uh, I definitely know more about more about the US and US culture than the average Australian. Yeah, exactly. So this is the. If you count part two and part one as one episode, this is the last of, of episodes that begin, the last of three episodes that begin with the word Requiem. So in season three, we had Requiem for a Dead Barber. And then at the beginning of season 10, we sadly had Requiem for a Dead Briard. So this is Requiem for a Chevyweight, which is a play on the title Requiem for a Heavyweight, which was a, a teleplay written by Rod Serling and produced for the live television show Playhouse 90 way back in October of 1956. And six years later, it was adapted as a 1962 feature film starring Anthony Quinn, Jackie Gleason and Mickey Rooney. The teleplay won a Peabody Award, the first given to an individual script in television, and helped establish Rod Serling's reputation. The broadcast was directed by Ralph Nelson and is generally considered one of the finest examples of live television drama in the United States, as well as being Serling's personal favourite of his own work. And Nelson and Serling won Emmys for their work. But I think we know it more as a film title here. I'd have to agree with that, yes. Definitely more familiar as a film title. Okay, so we open with Bud in the kitchen trying to prepare breakfast. And it's not a very nice-looking breakfast, is it? Uh, barely any cereal and... Oh, lumpy milk! <laughs> Disgusting! Oh, that is the worst. Oh. 
Any mail for me? Oh, come on, bud. You know News Geek comes tomorrow. <laughs> then what's behind your back? Couch. <laughs> we get a cereal sample? No. Then why do I smell riboflavin? Oh my God, you got the last sample! That was a bottle of Midol. <laughs> well, you look a lot less bloated. Just give me the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's the thing about this episode, though. Like, I think, um, see, the, one of the reasons why I actually decided to do this episode is because this is a sort of a, you know, it has some of the worst and the best things about Married with Children from season 11. Like, uh, you get some of the stupid, uh, I mean, like, you know, like you talk about how Married with Children is sort of the best, best jokes and the best. Uh, aspects of it ended in season 5 but then uh, you know like by the time you get to season 11 you get all these sort of cartoonish types of uh, uh, you know humor that you see uh, such as you know like when when Bud sort of uh, he, he starts pouring in the it's, you know the cereal and all the milk that, that is sort of <laughs> you know like just the curd that just pours in into the bell it's such cartoony sort of humor. So, yeah, the, the, it's, it's, it's the best best of the uh, first half of the season and the second half of the season all combined into one. It reminds me, the milk thing reminds me of season seven, Death of a Salesman. Again, dead. Um, you know, when Al comes home after singing at the graveyard and <laughs> he goes to the fridge and he sculls the milk. This is after Peggy's already put it back and disgust. And so we know that their milk is gross as hell, but we don't actually see... Like, we can see him drinking it because there's some milk out the side of his mouth, but he cut to season 11 and you actually see the curded milk plop out. It's just, oh, gross. So it's it's kind of a, a... It's a repeat joke, but they've done it differently. Perhaps lost some of the subtlety, but, you know, it's still funny. Yes. So, and I think one kernel of cereal came out. If that. <laughs> if that. <laughs> Some breakfast, bud. <laughs> but uh, my appetite just came back because I'm pretty sure I just saw Kelly walking in with a nice in a like, nice pink dressing gown hiding the day's post behind her. What has she got there? Yeah, I mean, uh, and you know that when she's dressed up in a dressing gown that she's kind of hiding, you know, something so much better inside that dressing gown and she's about to reveal that whole package. So it's kind of built up into that, yeah. Yeah. So Bud wants to know if there's mail for him and Kelly says, oh, you know, News Geek comes tomorrow. This is just a play on Newsweek, which is a, a weekly American magazine. More American culture for you, Chris. And unfortunately, though, I must say that in this episode, though, I do feel that they, this is one of the most underused episodes for Kelly Monday. I think uh, in this episode's particular, I feel that they might have just not have had Christian Applegate at all because uh, they really did a very poor job throughout this episode in uh, in utilizing her because, uh, I mean, even in terms of the humor, right? I mean, like, you know, you, you, you see, uh, like, I don't think they made the best out, out of her. So, for example, like, there, there was that scene where, you know, like, they were using uh, her for combing the classifieds or whatever, and, like, uh, and, and she's combing the classifieds. And, and, oh, you know, like, oh, that occasion where... 
Peggy was digging the backyard and for the dodge and she she goes oh no you you better tell you better cut us so you know we're going to tell ma so a, a lot a lot of the humor that they use her for in this episode just doesn't land well and it's just so dry in so many ways so i i just i just i just think that of all uh, even though this is one of my favorite marvel children episodes i just don't think that they did a very good job in utilizing um a kelly here. Uh, you know well like whatever the aspects uh, and th- this is a cl- classic example of how it was it was just a, just such a misfire in every way so yeah so yeah so un- uh, unfortunately i just don't this is one of my least favorite caliban episodes in in that way because i just uh, i i just don't think that they did a very good job the script writers did a very good job in actually in making good use of her well i think that's fair uh to say and i think and i do have an opinion on that as well which i might say for the reviews at the end but i do agree i think the jokes are very lazy in this episode we'll 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 touch on them as we as we come to them but yeah i certain i definitely get where you're coming from yeah yeah so um, without spoiling anything now i will say i definitely preferred part two over part one of this um and we've got my personal reasons why i wanted to do this some um, two-parter but we'll get to those in a bit but uh yes i'm definitely not not one of the stronger episodes of even season 11 or the whole series for that matter yeah so what kelly does have is <laughs> it's a bottle of my doll <laughs> which bud had last time which is funny because Mydol is a brand of over-the-counter analgesic drugs which is marketed for women, for menstrual cramping. Oh, bud, you crap me up. I mean, I've been re-watching some Simpsons recently. I thought Homer did what drinking dishwashing liquid sample was bad enough. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Resident, occupant, mm, free sample of lemon time. Ooh, give it here. Homer, that's dishwashing liquid. Yeah, but what are you going to do? So Bud does look a lot less bloated, but yeah, this time it's a packet of what is it cereal? Is this a real thing though? I mean, sorry, I'm I'm just not familiar with the the American culture and how this thing works. But do they actually send these type of samples uh, before it, it becomes like a mainstream uh, uh, consumption brand? Yeah. Yeah. I see. <laughs> that, that's hilarious that they do that. They don't actually say what Kelly got in the post, but Bud wanted it, and it smells like riboflavin. But when they, they he breaks it open from her, and it looks like cereal or something. So is there some sort of cereal with riboflavin in it? <laughs> <laughs> the Americans are crazy with their free samples. No, I'm not surprised at all. I, I, I completely, one hundred percent believe that this is this was a thing back in the eighties or nineties. You know, like they will they will let families sample. <laughs> things before it actually becomes a thing yeah <laughs> but anyway this is all um preamble to get to the the main story of the episode that's when al comes rushing in kids we have an emergency an emergency what is it an unforeseen circumstance that calls for immediate action but that's not important right now come on the love of my life's in trouble oh my god something's wrong with mom no you idiot it's a dodge hurry <laughs> Anyone who's watched Married with Children all this time is going to know what Al's going to say, but it's I still laugh. Especially if you notice how sh- dirty his shirt is. Yes, and he came from the garage. <laughs> 
He says, the love of my life's in trouble. <laughs> Something's wrong with mom. <laughs> no, you idiot. It's the Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's that's what's so amazing about season eleven that like uh, we we always knew that Mary Children was sort of a you know like a show with a lot of nut jobs, but they kind of t- t- heat it up to this like yeah level eleven by season <laughs> season eleven where everybody yeah. sort of you know they they become sort of this whole uh, what, what do you call it the whole uh, cartoonish type of characters yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the dialogue is cartoonish. I mean, there's an exchange here when Al comes in, he says, kids, we have an emergency. And Bud says, there's an emergency. What is it? And Kelly says, an unforeseen circumstance that calls for immediate action. But that's not important right now. That's the thing, right? That's another one of what I was talking about, uh, how they were not using Kelly to its best potential. A lot of uh, sort of punchlines just didn't land. And... She was kind of, I got the feeling that the director just didn't do a good job in using her, you know, to her best potential. Yeah, because it just wasn't funny, a lot of the stuff that she was saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Oh, totally. And I do, I, I sort of liked that exchange, the emergency exchange, because it reminded me of... Leslie Nielsen in The Naked Gun, because I think he says something very similar, or there's a similar kind of exchange. So it reminded me of that. And because it's from Kelly, it's, it's the juxtaposition of Kelly Bundy saying it. I, but I do agree, it, it, it almost doesn't work. <laughs> but I still found it funny. Because we do know that, we do know that they, they, they do it all the time, right? Remember that episode where Al had the handyman workbench 3000 right and then uh, she, uh, at, at the end of the episode you, you Kelly sort of figures it all out all so we kind of understand that Kelly is really intelligent in a way that uh, which is kind of in, inconsistent inconsistent with the whole plot you know like she's intelligent and and this is sort of in line with that right like so she kind of explains it and it sort of surprises us because she she has this insight that we don't expect her to have. So, uh, uh, but at the same time, though, like in this episode when she explains it, the emergency thing, we kind of don't sort of uh, appreciate it because it sort of doesn't land well. If you know what I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is all taking place in what we now call in the cold open which is a new thing for season 11 because it's now after this after they uh, established that it's the dodge that's in trouble they run off into the garage and then we get the opening credits and this is the first episode of this season that we are reviewing so you probably notice that in season 11 the, the opening credits are a lot shorter than seasons 1 to 10 so, Chris, what are your thoughts on, on season 11 becoming more like other TV sitcoms of the time? So it's the mid-90s, it's 96, and now we've got cold opens, we've got shorter credit sequences, and Married Children is, I mean, I think it's the might be the effect of having the, the new executive producer and the new team and everything, but the show is now like other shows on TV. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, look, I, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have... Uh, too much thought, thoughts uh, as much because I, I just think that at, at this stage I think what they're trying to do is to uh, sort of wrap it up uh, 
and move on to other projects <laughs> that because I, I do know that at this stage that there was a lot of controversy about married children for especially Ed O'Neill getting paid half a million dollars per episode while others are not and this is sort of becoming uh, you know uh, an open kind of discussion and uh, so yeah so look I don't really know what was happening because I'm not really very educated on this type of uh, you know background sort of controversy that's happening in the in these TV shows but one one thing I I do know is that at this stage in the show they're sort of looking at uh, <laughs> this show sort of being wrapped up and other ventures starting up yeah yeah I would buy that yeah there's a new producer like I said and she, she and she because Michael Moyer had stepped away by this point um so Pamela Eels or Pamela Ells but she's a new producer and she produced other TV shows, other sitcoms, I mean. And you're right. I mean, it was well publicized at the time that Ed O'Neill was receiving half a million per episode. So that's probably where a lot of their money went because they truncated the opening credits, possibly because mar- uh, because Love and Marriage was so expensive to use. So they cut it from, they cut it from a minute 10 down to 35 seconds. Maybe that saved them some money there, but... I mean, we could research and go into behind-the-scenes stuff and speculate on that, but it, it does show that there's a shift with Married to Children and how it's a different show almost in a lot of respects, but it's still it's still the same show, but it's different in a lot of ways. And I'll probably touch on that again when we do our reviews at the end. And, and Matt, I'll get your thoughts on this on Season 11 at the start of Part 2. Um, but just keep that in mind. Yep. So yeah, after the opening credits, then we cut to the garage, and uh, I've got a lot of things to. I've got a lot of thoughts on the continuity in this episode, but a good thing is the the Dodge is still red. Yes. Because you remember back in season nine, it went through the car wash and came out red. Yes. So points well, be, there be, because the the Dodge. Uh, I mean, when we, we talk about the Dodge, but we know it's not a Dodge, right? It's like a. Uh, duster, what is it? Uh, I know it's, it's got the word dust, duster, right? It's, Plymouth it's duster. got the 1972 duster or whatever, and uh, and uh, Plymouth, Plymouth duster, right? So because I see, I'm highly uneducated about American car culture, so but I do know that the Albandi's Dodge was a 1972 Plymouth duster, and and we we know that it's always like light brown or dark brown and then in that episode where it goes through the car wash it comes out as red uh, let, let's talk about the fact that you know like they had a college fund i mean where did that come from the the, the, the bundies were always poor and they couldn't even afford a meal at a restaurant and suddenly they have this college <laughs> fund to afford some guy from uh, where where some uni- some Quaker university to come and you know like give this diagnosis and all that stuff so yeah so as usual uh, the Manavi children has continuity issues yeah. oh totally totally and yeah <laughs> we'll cross we'll cross the the college fund thing in a sec yes but yeah, there's there's a lot of um, there's information on Wikipedia about Owls Dodge, and I've completely forgotten the name of the site, but uh, I'm trying to find it now. But there's a there's a website, Chris. It's it's something like Car Wikipedia. We can research any car information from any TV show type of thing. I've forgotten the actual name of it, so I'll look for that while Matt will explain about Owls Dodge. Okay, so throughout most of the early seasons, Owls Dodge or 
emblem of Duster um, is shown to be blue. Between season one until season four's episode, Oh What a Feeling, the car appears to be a metallic blue with a white racing stripe and a gold Duster badge near the front wheels. At the end of Oh What a Feeling, he traded in the blue Dodge for a bronze colour model. This would be the colour of the Dodge for the next few seasons. Whenever it's shown, it has a licence plate of 2 RPH72. And then in Season 9, Get a Dodge Out of Hell, after the Dodge goes through the car wash, it's now red. And now claims that the Dodge was actually red when he first bought it, contradicting the blue, blue Dodge from earlier. Though... When the tr- tr- boot or trunk is open for Al to get his biggins, it was obvious the inside was actually bronze and parts of the tr- uh, trunk or bonnet, or trunk or boot even, hinges go from red to bronze paint. This colour would be seen in the Dodge for the remainder of the series, such as this episode here, Record for Chevrolet Part 1, and later in the season in Breaking Up is Easy to Do Part 3. This has a licence plate 61CMS2. But you know what? I uh, there were also episodes like, for example, remember Peg won a Mustang, right? In one of those season four episodes, uh, I th- I think it it was sort of that uh, talk show episode where they had Bing and uh, lovely Zelda and all that. So I I don't know, you know, like uh, so let's just give the benefit of the doubt. So let's just say that they won a nice car. In that episode, and uh, okay, so so they are not going to be completely, you know, accurate in terms of what they want, but they want a nice car, and would that be sort of one of those sort of that you we need to incorporate into this episode? We we don't know, right? So because uh, at the end of the day, they want a nice car in that episode, and it was that something that we have to take into consideration. That that's that's what I'm kind of thinking. So yeah, <laughs> I mean there the, there is so much inconsistencies when it comes to what kind of car the Bundy's own. That website I was talking about, Chris, it's it's an IMDb for cars, and so it's the International Movie Car Database. So it's imcdb.org, and I'll send you the link to Married with Children, and it's basically got all the cars that were ever featured on the show. Well, I know nothing about cars, so I assume all the information is correct. But anyway, we know the the Dodge is a, a Plymouth Duster, and it's now red. And and you're right, I mean, Peg did win a, a red sports car in Season 2, and we don't see it until the beginning of Season 5, and when they're stuck in traffic. And then it disappears. I mean, Al makes the card of death. He uses some parts of Peg's car, and that's, I think that's the last mention of it. Yeah, they've got a thing about red cars on this show. That's that's just the part thing about this show though. That there's so much inconsistencies in terms of I, I don't know. For, for some sometimes I feel that they do do it deliberately. You know what I mean? In, in just to sort of mess with your mind. Oh yeah, I th- think that's the main objective of continuity in any sitcom. Yes. So this whole opening scene with them in the garage, it's it's all very ER and Chicago home, isn't it? It yeah. is. It is. Uh... Yes, yeah, so I noticed the um, very rare example of um, a moving camera technique in Married with Children here, and I got in my notes, as you said, Anna, but the comedic, comedic version of ER, which was very popular at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's a, it's a rare rare thing for them to do, but, again, picking up on the, um, on the popular culture of the time. So it, it does put a date on it a little bit, but 
you know, it's all dated by this point. So, yeah, close-ups and the, and the quick camera movements and everything, and, and it's all very go, go, go. <coughs> um, yeah. And, <laughs> and the <laughs> they have this joke here about open gasket massage and instead of open heart massage. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that doesn't land well as well. See, they talk about how he needs to do this whole open gasket thing. But all he ends up doing is just tightening a few screws in the whole, uh, you know, like in yeah, uh, under the hood. But you you don't really see him doing any open gasket at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? So no. it, 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 it's sort of very inconsistent in that aspect as well. Because open gasket is sort of a I don't know. I mean, I I've never I'm not very uh, much of a mechanical guy myself. But I do know that open gasket is sort of a really big procedure. And all he does is just tighten a few screws and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And during this, Al makes a reference to Pep Boys. The Pep, it's an American automotive aftermarket retail and service chain. And they're referred to as the founders of the automotive aftermarket. And, it was, and the company was founded in Philadelphia in 1921 I can totally understand that that joke though because I think what they're saying is that most people in America or even in the western culture we sort of uh, you know like base our wisdom on what we see on TV and and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a complete understanding of uh, the whole you know concept of what they're talking about you know I, I just saw it on TV that, that, that's just the whole joke yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. And if you even think about, and if you think about back to when Kelly was the Verminator, and she worked at Pest Boys, I mean that's probably a spoof on Pep Boys. Probably. But how are we to know that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah and, and 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 I, I think uh, we we did mention about the Verminator, right? I think in our last episode we talked about it. And, yes. And, uh, and in fact, uh, as Australians, we should mention that. The, in, in during the Melbourne Cup, we have a horse by the name of Verminator. That uh, every, every, and I must say that I always bet on the Verminator because you know I knew nothing about horses. I knew nothing about anything. But as an as someone who lived in Australia, you were kind of it's kind of it was mandatory that you put a bet on a horse during Melbourne Cup, and uh, and the only the only reason that I could think of. Was yeah, I'd bet on Verminator because Kelly was the Verminator. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, that's a good reason in my book. Yeah, same here. Exactly. So as you said, as you said, Chris. Um, oh God, Al, they need money. So Al says, "Oh, we'll have to dip into the college fund." And Bud, mm. you, me, Matt, everybody in the entire world says, "We had a college fund." All right, she's holding her own. Just like you, Bud. <laughs> But we need to get a specialist over here. Bud, call Detroit. Dan's going to cost a ton of money. Well, then we'll have to dip into the college fund. Oh, we had a college fund? (laughs) I just graduated. Well, then you won't be needing any, will you? (laughs) And I'm like, they had a college fund? What the hell? We just graduated. I just graduated. Yeah, no, I just graduated from the... The Wienertot College. I don't even. I don't even remember. But but yeah, it's, you know the thing is kind of uh, it's it's in the part. It's a 
piece of the American culture that every family had to have a college fund. <laughs> yeah, even though in this case that they never used it. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's an extra point for continuity because they said because Bud says, "Oh, I just graduated," which he did at the end of season ten. But <laughs> I mean, what college fund is this? Is this the one that they opened in season seven from you know the old college try when Bud first went to community college, and he got a twenty five thousand dollar grant, but then Alan Pegg spent all his money. Is it is this the link there? I mean, what's the continuity? Yeah, here? that's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if David Fasina himself was thinking, "Really, guys?" When he had, when he had to say that line, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so he's probably thinking we had a college fund. And someone said, oh, we should probably write that in, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the car is holding its own, holding her own (laughs) for the time being. Yes. So a new scene, and it's Al with the car sitting by its its hospital bed. And the car's all hooked up to wires. And I think there's a chart, you know, on, on its nose, isn't there? There is. Yeah, typical hospital room, because that's the joke. But then Peg comes in, looking very top heavy, I may say. Hi, Al. How's she doing? She's idling on life support, Peg. She's in a coma. (laughs) Al, you need to get some rest. Or help of some kind. Peg, you don't understand the bond between a guy and his car. It's sacred. Oh, you mean kind of like the bond between a husband and wife? Well, don't trivialize it, Peg. This was my first car. This is part of my youth. Yeah, and like your youth, it should be long gone. And I must say that Peg looks great in these episodes. Like, she is, she's sort of the fine wine that we talk about in, you know, like, she, she's so hot, like, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, you know, the whole, the leopard skin type. Yeah. Yeah. Is. And I've always thought of Peg, you know, like, whenever I looked at her in these later episodes, she she would do so well in, in a mafia type of uh, setting, you know, whether it was in Goodfellas or Sopranos or t- that type of, uh, you know, like episode, like she, she would be so perfect for that type of role. And she has the red hair, which we know is not real, but she also, you know, looked, looked like a 30 or 40 something woman who's aged perfectly, you know, and it's it sort of, you know, like crossing between the Italian culture and the yeah, European culture, so type type of thing. So yeah, and I, I that, that that's what I always sort of when I look at fake ups, like God, I mean, like if, if you would be perfect for as a Lauren Bronco in Goodfellas, or you know, like as a Camilla Sopranos kind of thing. When I when I look at it, totally. And it's funny you mentioned that because uh, Ray Liotta has just passed away. You know, in the in the the three-parter, Breaking Up is Easy to Do, Peg says to Al, I could have been a successful mafia wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but mafia wife's got to cook, Peg, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't like surprises, Peg. But have you seen Sons of Anarchy, Chris? I mean, I think that's the closest she's gone. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I I was actually thinking that because I I just thought that it's such a perfect cross-culture from, you know, like the... Peggy Bundy to the whole Gemma type of thing, you know? And in fact, we, we I mean, I think I, there was a perfect meme that I, in fact, posted on my Facebook where, you know, like you see Jack uh, 
you know, shit works out in the end. <laughs> you know, because you see Al with the, like this perfect young wife, you know, and then it, it just sort of, you know, like a lot of guys who watch both shows were thinking of the same thing, yeah. And just to go back on your point, Peg is smoking hot in this season. She I'm is. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she, she is, re- I think... That that's the thing that she always during the early episodes of the show she kind of plays a lot younger sort of version of herself. But uh, we we do know that she she sort of plays a lot uh, you know like an older version of herself throughout the show. And yeah, and she she's definitely yeah. smoking hot. And and I think the first time I noticed it was uh, I think you know that episode where all the fat women. Uh, it sort of uh, hold Al accountable, and they kind of uh, hold her. And then Peg comes in, and they sort of ask her to uh, be the judge of the whole thing. And uh, and and I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. I I just I just noticed that even though this is sort of a season eleven kind of episode, like uh, yeah, she she plays a much older version of herself, and that's why I think even in the you know the documentaries and all. Peg always says that Peg is supposed to be a much younger version, much younger than Al. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if that is true because I think they were both from the sort of the same year in school. But uh, I think uh, in in reality, yeah, in the minds of the actors, Peg was supposed to be a lot younger than Al. Yeah, I mean they went to high school together, but I think it's because in real life that there's an eight year age difference yeah 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 because she she was a lot because i i i realized that uh, uh katie's a girl she had a miscarriage uh while she was in married with children but but i think uh when you look at it i think she was a lot younger than the role she played like if you look at it she's sort of so, supposed to be sort of late 30s you know, uh, early 40s type of character. But uh, in reality, Peggy Bundy, like uh, Katie Segal, was much younger than that, yeah. And speaking of younger and when Alan Peggy were in high school, we get, a, we get a flashback. Our first flashback is Al with his father. Me and my dad had our best days working on it. I can't believe you bought this piece of junk. <laughs> That screwdriver. <laughs> Not this one. The one with ice in it. And I need. I have a lot of questions about that scene. Is that really Ed O'Neill? Because they did a brilliant job in sort of portraying that young Al. Because I I don't know why, but when you look at that Al with the hippie sort of top and the hairdo. I, it's almost like there's a different actor playing it. Is that really Adoniel in that scene? Oh, sure is. Oh, yeah, it's definitely him. That's brilliant because I, I like, look at scene and uh, for, for whatever the reason, you know, like the Adoniel in season 11, it's like this bald guy, balding middle-aged male with a kind of a belly and type of thing, you know. But you look at that scene, he, if, when you put that wig on him and that shirt on him, he just looks like a whole different person. Yeah, he's, he's, he's carrying himself a bit differently. And, I mean, there's makeup and, and costuming, but it's 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 good acting too. So, yeah, all the things. I mean, that's half the fun that it is Ed O'Neill. And um, obviously we never see 
his father's face throughout this scene, and he's of course wearing you know the blue shirt and the brown yeah. pants, which I found funny. Yeah, he's wearing Al's clothes. Um, <laughs> And incidentally, the actor playing Al's father was a guest star way back in season two in The Great Escape. He played the exterminator in that episode where you do see his face. Uh, his name is Cliff Bemis. <laughs> and it's, it's such an old joke, right? Like, I'm taking my day to the Rolling Stones farewell concert tonight. <laughs> Long-haired, limey fruits. <laughs> yeah, but she wants to go and she's the grooviest chick in school. Peggy Wanker. Careful, son. Don't let her get her hooks into you. Don't worry about me, Dad. Peggy would never stand in the way of my dreams. She she worships the ground that I walk on. <laughs> the best part is she she really listens to me. He says that uh, Rolling Stone uh, farewell concert. And uh, have you guys ever watched the movie Almost Famous? Yes. No, I haven't. Yeah, even in that, they joke about it. Like, uh, Rolling Stones have been, uh, you know, giving their farewell concerts since uh, 1960s, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 this is kind of an everyday thing. Like, like so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's why it's so funny because uh, these type of bands, they've been... Gi- I think Barbara Streisand as well, you know, like uh, these type of uh, sort of legends. Don't get me wrong, I love the Rolling Stones, I love uh, all these people, but but they have been giving their farewell, farewell to us for, <laughs> for so long. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing though, and, and uh, kind of become a sort of a part of the humor. Yeah. I'm a big Stones fan as well, and and I love this joke. <laughs> and <laughs> we're, we're putting a date on it. They don't give us a date, but this is before Alan Pegg got married, and they're still in high school. So if they got married in 1971, this scene is probably taking place, say, what 1969, maybe. Mm. That's my thought as well, 1969, because it came to mind because it was the year Brian Jones left and then passed away the month after. Yeah, and I and I actually looked up. I said, you know, if it was 1969, uh, the Stones actually played a gig in Chicago in November of 1969. And they might have played other years as well because they toured a lot. But if we say it's 69, it's late 69. They played a gig in Chicago. And yeah, that was after Brian Jones passed away. I just, I, I love the joke anyway. But this is back in the late 60s and they were already doing farewell jokes for the Stones. This is an episode taking place in 1996 like written in 1996, so the Stones were old back then. And they're still going. <laughs> sort of. I say they're still going, but Charlie Watts has just passed away last year. Just look at Al, though, in this scene, though. He, he's got a really flat kind of stomach, and he looks very young. Yeah. Like for, for a, he does. And he, he, his facial features look very sharp, like a young person. You know, and uh, I mean, like, uh, that's why I was so so impressed with this scene because I just thought that they just used someone different to do this scene because uh, it's like, uh, so when you cross back into the, you know, the present timeline, Al Bundy in that looks, he has a bloated kind of, you know, face and he has a bigger belly and everything, so... He, I mean, it was very impressive the how, how they managed to pull this scene off. 
Yeah, I agree. I think he's wearing he's probably wearing looser jeans and yeah, like you say, it's it's costume and it's makeup and it's the hair. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. just yeah, and just his whole demeanor, he's just he's carrying himself as a, a young man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and and I do love the screw uh, the reference to the screwdriver, you know, like uh, what can orange yeah. is because because I, I I'm a huge fan of Chris, uh, a, a fan of uh, Kiss, and you know, like uh, I used to listen to the whole um, Kiss Alive back in the day, like all the time, and they they always talk about the what what can orange is and like you know like how they in in this scene they talk about the screwdriver <laughs> you know like so it kind of absolutely hits home yeah matt did you like this flashback i did actually so i mean i liked the, well, obviously i liked how you never see owl's dad's face so after look after look at that season 2 episode again just to see uh and uh well i mean i knew it was Ed O'Neill, but obviously you know makeup coves hair piece uh he's wearing a very loud uh hit, um shirt that was very very common in the 60s that his dad would have called fruity so to speak and uh yeah i did like the whole screwdriver screwdriver thing i mean i'm not a cocktail man myself but i do know what a, i have heard of the drink a screwdriver uh <laughs> It, it wouldn't be acceptable today, right? Like when you say, what are you, a fruit kind of thing. So, you know, like uh, by today's standard, it would be regarded as homophobic or, you know, like you wouldn't be able, this wouldn't be accepted in in well, today's. Well, probably not. But you got to you got to remember, Chris, this is a flashback to the late 60s. So they probably could could still get away with it. Uh, so it's flashback to the 60s. Also, the, also the, they are not portraying Al's father as a role model anyway so exactly he's sort mean, of uh, yeah exactly yeah i think the stones have been mentioned on married children before if you think back to season nine episode three yes. kelly breaks out where keith richards gets confused for buddy epson on tv <laughs> <laughs> and then the season four episode 15 uh bud jagger richards anyone <laughs> yep yep and uh, another joke chris uh, if you're a simpsons fan as i know matt is um yes. in the 1995 flash forward to 2010 episode with lisa's wedding and lisa meets her future husband and on the poster on the poster on the wall is the the rolling stones steel wheelchair tour which is in maggie's <laughs> room and uh and they 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 had a they had a tour called steel wheels around that time so <laughs> The Steel Wheelchair Tour of of 2010 from an episode written in 1995 is funny as well. So, Yeah, when you look at Rolling Stones, though, like like, uh, one of my favorite songs of theirs is uh, Brown Sugar. But uh, actually, when you look at at what they're talking about, you know, they're talking about something that's sold in the market down in New Orleans. They're literally talking about underage uh, women of color kind of thing. So... So um, 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 there, there's a lot that, uh, that there's a lot about the great uh, stuff that uh, that we kind of revere that would be very politically incorrect today. So yeah, I mean they were a product of their time, and we just have to cover, come to terms with the fa- with accepting the fact that yeah, you know things have changed, and we just have to learn to deal with it. Yeah, um, yeah, I think my favorite stone song is gimme shelter and oh that was in sons of anarchy as well and katie seagull and her kids they didn't sing it but they were featured as backup vocals in the episode version that's another reason to like it <laughs> god, god i love sons of anarchy. sons of anarchy is i i love it so much uh, you gotta understand that it's been so long since i've been 
completely into a TV show. And uh, Sons of Anarchy and Punisher were probably the last TV shows that I were very uh, emotionally invested on. And uh, the reason why I got into Sons of Anarchy was obviously because, purely because of Katie Seagal, you know, and uh, she was Peggy Bundy who, who, who was in it. And yeah, so uh, I, the, the, that's the thing about TV shows that I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about TV shows of the future because I just don't know if I can be emotionally invested on a TV show anymore because everything that I was invested in in the recent times was relative to what I was invested in the 80s. So, and, 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 and that's the thing though, I, I'm so old fashioned that way. And, uh, you know, uh, and of course, uh, people will tell me that, you know, you're just a noble man. That's it. And, you know, you you can't really, uh, you have no opinion on what's uh, related to uh, what's happening right now. So, yeah, <laughs> there's always that. And you know they're bringing Futurama back. Yeah, but that, that's the thing, though. I mean, they are bringing uh, Futurama back. Uh, but at the same time, though, I, I, I mean, like, I've always loved Futurama because... Uh, I don't know if I ever told you that, but do this because the reason why I love Married Children is because I love Futurama. You know, like when they yes, told me I that, you uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mentioned, uh, and so in the next generation will be even you know like beyond that. So I mean, at, at the end of the day, it, it, it's all about what's relative. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we got to press on. So. I just want to say that the Stones were formed in 1962, and they were already popular by 64. So if this episode is taking place in 69, they were already considered um, finished if they were having a farewell tour. Anyway, <laughs> but this is back This is back when um, Al actually liked Peggy, because she was just his girlfriend then. And she wants to go, and she's the grooviest chick in school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, what a stupid man he was. How, how naive is he? <laughs> oh, he's so naive. Yeah, but she really listens to Al. I know. Shock horror, hey. <laughs> yeah. she, 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 she really listens to me, but the best part is, are you listening, Al? <laughs> well, she's fallen asleep on his shoulder, so, oh, yeah, she's totally listening. Oh yeah. I, I thought that they did a brilliant job with her makeup though in that whole in that whole scene. Like I, I that she was so sexy, like those green makeups she had in her eyes. Oh yeah, we'll hold that thought until we until we get to that scene. Yeah, that's the next flashback. But first we gotta meet Dr. Fisher. Mr. Bundy. Yes? I'm Dr. Fisher, the specialist. Oh thank God you're here, Doctor. <laughs> doctor? Yes, ma'am. Doctor of Automotive Engineering. Quaker State. So he's a doctor of automotive engineering. Quaker he's a, State. He's the epitome of all things that we think of as American. Don't you think so? Like the con artist in the American culture, you know, like. <laughs> he's, he's totally got that vibe. <laughs> he's got that vibe, right? Like the accent and the, uh, yeah, the whole look of it. Yeah. The Quaker State. You know? <laughs> the notes I have from Luigi here is how the puns here are stupid. <laughs> So again, Chris, it's like the joke's not landing well. I mean, if they do land, they're pretty lame. 
So he's Dr. Fisher. Fisher Body was an automobile coach builder founded by the Fisher Brothers in 1908 in Detroit. And it's a division of General Motors for many years, but in 1984 was dissolved to form other General Motors divisions. The Fisher & Company continues to use the name. And the name and its iconic Body by Fisher logo were well known to the public as GM vehicles displayed a Body by Fisher emblem on their door seal plates until the mid-90s. And Quaker State is an American brand of motor oil produced by Sopus Products, a division of Royal Dutch Shell and the successor to the Pennzoil Quaker State Company. And in 2002, Shell Oil, a wholly owned member of the Royal Dutch Shell Group, acquired Pennzoil Quaker State Company for $1.8 billion in cash and $1.1 billion in debt. Yeah, they also were responsible for the murder of. Uh, I, I, there was a guy who won the Guinness, uh, not not the Guinness, but the the Nobel Prize. I can't remember his name. He was like a Nigerian or someone. And uh, Shell Oil was responsible for his murder in in the nineties. I, I, so yeah, the, 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 these were the same people. Like uh, I think there was uh, someone who won the Nobel Prize for human oh, okay. Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hang on, let me uh, find his name. And uh, Shell Oil wanted him uh, dead, and uh, and they they killed him anyway. So I I think that's what the Married Children show was sort of aiming at. Yeah, just the whole hypocrisy of this whole uh, the <laughs> human rights aspect of it, you know. So um, yeah, so uh, I, I I it's just incredible though that um, uh, that that's what I love about Married Children that uh, there were so many things that I did not understand in in terms of the global politics that they they sort of introduced in very subtle aspects that uh, yeah that uh, that was just incredible and that every time I watch these episodes that I would just go and find out why why was this funny and then I will, I will look into it and then I'll find out that there's some very dark humor behind it and Marvel Children was so dark in that aspect and uh, yeah so uh, let, let me just see find out his name uh, what, what, what he was well why are you looking for his name I mean what about this reference to Larry Hagman now, unfortunately, finding a donor pump will be nearly impossible. Oh, yeah, well, if it was Larry Hagman's car, you'd find a donor pump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, so so t- t- tell me about the Larry Hagman one, because I don't know uh, about him. Okay, so, well, Larry Hagman is probably, well, he's an American film and television actor, director and producer, but he's probably best known for playing the ruthless oil baron J.R. Ewing on Dallas and also as Major Tony Nelson in I Dream of Jeannie. His television appearances also included guest roles on dozens of other shows from the late 50s onwards until his death in 2012, where he was starring on a revival of Dallas. But that's immaterial because... In 1995, Larry Hagman underwent a life-saving liver transplant. So this is one of those jokes which is very timely and topical for this episode. But watching back nowadays, we're like, what's the relevance to Larry Hagman? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in Dallas, Larry drove a lot of big, expensive cars, um, especially Mercedes and Cadillacs. And that included a Cadillac Alante. If you remember. Oh, yes. You, Alante. And now, the car of tomorrow. The new Alante. 
Kelly Lante, yeah. The new Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Matt, you've got a car called Kelly. Incredible how Mary children was so subtle in introdu- in sort of injecting that type of uh, consciousness into our mind. Yeah. I mean, I always found that reference odd to Larry Hagman, and I thought, oh, that's got to mean something. And then later on, I found out, oh, okay, he had some sort of transplant. I guess that's what they're going for. But by this point, you know, the joke's a bit weak. <laughs> yeah. But Al kicks out the doctor and calls him a Jiffy Lube reject. Look, the bottom line is you need a transplant. A whole new pump. That's not all he needs. <laughs> now, unfortunately, finding a donor pump will be nearly impossible. Oh, yeah, well, if it was Larry Hagman's car, you'd find a donor pump. <laughs> you should realize that these parts are worth a lot of money. Be reasonable, Al. There are lots of other Dodges out there suffering. Mr. Bundy, I know this is difficult, but we should harvest these parts now while they're still lubricated. Are you nuts? You're not a doctor, you're a butcher. Get out of here, you jiffy lube reject. All right, Jiffy Lube. Okay, so that's an American brand of automotive oil change specialty shops founded in the state of Utah, United States, in 1971. So, uh, Utah, known for more than just Mormons and eating lots of jelly. (laughs) And, Matt, I've got another question for you in relation to the next scene. Uh Bud is using a laptop. Yes. And he has a printer. And the printer looked to be an Apple Mac. That's, that, that's another thing that uh, always baffled my mind. Like, how did this family, you know, like the, his father is a shoe salesman and they're like this working class family. How did they manage to afford an Apple laptop in the 90s? Because, uh, you know, like uh, that, that is a pretty high end piece of equipment. Yeah, especially for back then. And I, I'm I'm not an expert on computers and, and such, but I'm just going to imagine for myself that Bud stole it from his college. My theories are, as he's mentioned, Bud stole from his college or the traditional stealing it from Marcy's. Well, I mean, I can't imagine she probably had a PC rather than that for some reason, but okay. But uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to find what the model what it could have been. So it probably... The model, current model of uh, the PowerBook was the PowerBook 5300 at the time, which was released in 1995 and cost at the time uh, between $2,300 and six dollars six and discontinued in not long before this aired, so most likely a PowerBook 5300, and it could run between seven, System 7.52 and, and System 9.1, so that's probably the computer Bud was using, I don't know how he got it, because there's no way he could have bought it himself, uh, unless he got a massive promotion at the DMV, but there you go, uh, so it was going to be some sort of power book, and uh, yeah, I did notice the Apple logo on the um, matching printer. My my own parents at the time did have Apple Apples, but desktops. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've, I've always been kind of uh, like amused by the fact that the Bundys were able to afford uh, and a laptop uh, during that time, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... You know, like, uh, I, I was born in a sort of a middle-class family, but uh, it, this was kind of an unthinkable thing for me. And for whatever the reason, Bud Bundy was able to have a, this really nice laptop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can barely afford a laptop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And the big reference in this scene, while Bud is researching car parts, is he's also been researching a certain Miss Pamela Anderson. Son? <laughs> 
Did you find my fuel pump yet? No, I've surfed the internet all night. Still can't find anything. Well, what are you doing with a picture of Pamela Lee naked on a slip and slide? <laughs> Nothing yet. Keep working. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, and, and Miss Pamela Anderson, and I'm, I must say that back in the 90s, so I was a child of the 90s, and yeah, you know, she was the sexiest woman on the planet. You know, she she, she married Tommy Lee, who was a member of the, what's it, the, what, what band? Motley Crue. Motley, Motley Crue, yeah. And, you know, she had that league sex tape and stuff. Yeah, and she was in Baywatch, you know what I mean? Like, so she was... She's like the Kim Kardashian of uh, the 90s era, so <laughs> in, in many ways. But yeah, I mean, t- today, of course, she's, she has a very different reputation because, um, you know, we, we treat her as someone who has sort of, uh, you know, like evolved uh, from that era to because she, she, she's, um, I think, I, I think uh, to, uh, she has a very different reputation today because she, um, she, she's involved with Julian Assange and, uh, yeah, and, you know, we treat her as uh, someone who sort of evolved from that whole, uh, whole uh, era uh, of that t- tabloid culture. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, but, but back in the 90s, uh, Pamela, Pamela Lee was sort of the, the thing. She, yeah, she was number one. She was, yeah. And she's even referred to in this episode as Pamela Lee. So that's when she was married to, to Tommy Lee. And it's it's a massive in-joke as well, because don't forget, Pamela Anderson got her start on Married With Children. She did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that is incredible, isn't it? Remember that she before she had a boob job and everything, she was sort of one of... Uh, she was a part of uh, Al Bundy's dream, you know, and and th- that is kind of really sad in many ways. Because when you look at the Pamela Lee in those uh, scenes, she she's so beautiful. Like she didn't need those over the top type of boob jobs to be sexy. She she was just perfect the way she was. Yeah, she's naturally pretty, and then she sort of went overboard. Yeah, exactly. And and then then we sort of identify her as this person who had these massive boob jobs and not very human <laughs> type of thing. The dynamic is incredible there. But Matt, did you get a look at the picture that Bud printed out of Pamela Lee naked on a slip and slide? <laughs> uh, briefly, but uh, I, was, I think I was too busy focusing on the computer and other things like the offers of a thousand francs and five thousand dollars in Dusseldorf. I was too busy focusing on that. Her hoses must be hemorrhaging! <laughs> <laughs> He's gone! <laughs> okay. What are your bids on the carburetor? Okay, a Dodge collector in Toledo will offer us 200. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. Vancouver will offer us 250. Ooh. I don't think so. Hold on one second, please. This idiot in Zurich offered to buy the pistons for 1,000 francs. As if. I mean, where would we get the buns? Hello? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I just bring it up because the image that was printed out, which looks very grainy, black and white, it looks suspiciously like the um, the template generic Big Guns cover image that they've used for several issues of Big Guns. And also you'll see it again later for Q buttons. So it's it's that picture, but it's a very grainy um, version. And I, you know, back then they didn't expect us to see it so clearly, I suppose. So that's what that picture is. It's not actually... 
Pamela Lee, Pamela Anderson Lee Rock, as I call her from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was, um, yes, um, the legendary P- Pamela Anderson Lee Rock, known from at least uh, three different TV shows. Yeah, but now we've got Kelly asking about, well, first we've got this really lame joke, Chris, about Kelly combing the classifiers. Yeah, I hate that stuff. I mean, this is where I, it really bothers the shit out of me that they underuse the use i mean they they really did not do any justice for christine apple gates character in this uh, i mean like in my opinion i think they might have not used her at all in this two-part episode because everything they ever used her for was just worthless like and this is one of those you know like uh, combing the classifieds and uh, and anything else really when 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 you look at that and we can go through it as the episode unfolds but uh, i just don't think that they did any justice for her character at all with all these really dumb jokes that didn't land well and there's another joke straight after that about Matt, as you said, the Franks. Yes. So where would she get the buns? I know, hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so dumb, isn't it? Like, it's so stupid. Why, 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 what were they thinking? And also, um, it wouldn't... Well, let's say... I was going to say it wouldn't work, but these are Swiss Franks, not French Franks, so the joke would still work. But still, come on, Kelly. You should know the difference between um, the money Franks and the hot dog Franks, which for the record aren't very nice. Uh... But yeah, I haven't done the currency conversion for what a thousand francs are, is in US money yet. Well, that'd be Swiss francs. So if yeah. you do the conversion to US money and to dollary dues and today's as well, then yeah, let us know. All right, thousand francs in 1996 is uh, not actually hasn't gone up too much. It's only a thousand hundred twenty nine and eighty eight francs. <laughs> okay, but how much is that in in our language? All right, let me convert it to both both dollars. So, all right, so from CHF, I said CHF to USD. Okay, so American money, that's uh, $1,174.71. That's an American. And in uh, Australian money, that is $1,628.66 in Australian money. Yeah. Wow. I really think that they did so much injustice to Christian Abelgo's character in this episode. A lot of these jokes just didn't land well at all. Yeah, I wonder how she, she felt about these jokes. But I suppose she can just, you know, phone it in and get a easy paycheck. Now we've got our... We go to our second flashback. And so we see Alan Pegg on a date, shall we say, in a car. Well, in the car. Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do without her. <laughs> Get to places on time? <laughs> hey, how can you say a thing like that? Don't you remember the good times we had in that car? <laughs> oh, Al. That was incredible. Oh, Peggy, you drive me wild. I could go all night long. <laughs> team combined. <laughs> Not that I know. Hey, chocolates? Oh no, I hate candy. <laughs> you know, Al, you were really amazing tonight. I mean, four touchdowns in a single game. Ah, oh, babe, that's no big deal. I mean, it's not like it's going to be the highlight of my life or anything. <laughs> 
this is actually a great uh, scene because uh, we actually get to see how intelligent Peg is in terms of some of the ideas that she comes up with. Like she com comes up with the idea of home shopping network and everything which gets dismissed. And of course, this is sort of a, a you know like a mainstream type of a, you know idea we see with feminism that you know women come up with these great ideas, but men are too kind of stupid to <laughs> really. Uh, uh, you know, identify with uh, with it, and and this is so true because it, because uh, it happens all the time. But uh, but anyway, uh, I think this is this scene is so good in so many ways because you know, like uh, she talks about uh, you know, four touchdowns in one uh, season, and uh, goes, you know, it's not going to be the highlight of my life or, life or anything, and <laughs> and and. and we we all get a really good laugh out of it because i mean it it, it, it is so epic you know what i mean because in so many ways it's just funny because it's true <laughs> you know what i mean like and at the same time she talks about um, her idea of the home shopping network and everything else and al just dismisses them as dumb ideas but uh, history has shown us that these were all brilliant ideas that uh, that just were brushed aside. And and there is a minor point in favour of continuity here because it's an obvious joke again, but it lines up with Peg's character when she says she was napping during her home ec class. Because we know back in late season four, she didn't graduate yes. because of that class. So she didn't actually graduate high school until she was a, she was a parent. Well, you know, today, while I was napping in my home ec class, <laughs> I had the greatest idea for a way people could shop at home using the television. <laughs> That's an even sillier idea than... Your phone without a cord thing. But I've got a major issue with this scene. Well, the, the next scene, which continues on after this, when they're having sex and the condom breaks. And they're implying that this is where Peg becomes pregnant with Kelly. I agree, yes. Major major screw up. This, Yes, because we're led to believe that this is the same night that Al scored his four touchdowns. So this makes Kelly five years older than she should be. The four touchdowns were in 1966. Also, oh, six years. So Kelly was born in 72. Yes. Meant to believe throughout the series. So this is something in season 11. Again, probably a very lazy, unresearched joke slash reference that we're meant to believe that this is the night, you know, something's gone wrong. So she, Peg has to be pregnant at this time. And this is probably Kelly's conception. But it cannot be the same night that Al scored his four touchdowns. That just messes with the whole timeline. Uh, great. Obviously, you don't remember what else happened that night. No. Oh, Al. Oh, Peg. Oh, Al. Uh-oh. What? I think it broke. <laughs> oh, my God. How could that have happened? I don't know. It worked before. You used the same one? Hey, they're expensive. Yeah, this is terrible. You're telling me. Now I'm going to have to buy a new one. Oh, I never picked out on that. that that's amazing. I mean, kudos to you for actually 
being such an expert in this show to be able to follow that timeline i would have effect on that oh i just got a thing about continuity in tv shows and and it's something you know we we've discussed it in the past on the podcast but this is this is a big one and and matt you'd agree wouldn't you oh definitely i mean uh, i know tv shows are not meant to be 100% realistic but especially in tv shows that don't have floating timelines. It, it doesn't take long to do your research, people. Even if writers change and producers change, it doesn't take that long to do your research. Uh, this is why I give credit to a favorite anime, one of my favorite animated shows, South Park, because their continuity for, especially for an animated show, is pretty good. And there is a, there is a um, continuous storyline underlying the whole series if you watch it all the way through. Yeah, well, it's the same people running it and presumably writing it. Yes, they? They're, they're, they're basically, if Trey Parker and or Matt Stone left, there would be no more South Park. Uh, a lot of people would ha- be angry if they tried to continue without one or both of them. But let's just assume, so even let's agni- ignore all that, all right? Yeah. We do know for a fact that Al got trapped with Peggy in high school, right? Nowhere beyond that. So... We, we do know that Al and Peggy had to sort of get forced into this relationship um, at high school, not, not, at, not in college or anything else. So w- wouldn't that be sort of, uh, uh, w- wouldn't that sort of say that it's kind of accurate that this is where it all started? Yeah, I mean, how do I explain it? Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't actually know when they got together. I mean, I mean, we all know that Al, uh, we all know that Al never went to college or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, neither of them did. That that's that that that's not sort of a lifestyle they were never they never had had uh, you know opportunity. So this is sort of a high school entrapment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, case uh, there's very little wiggle room to really explore, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean the timeline is a bit bit tricky and there's there's an episode coming up later this season which originally had a script that implied or heavily um, inferred that Peg was pregnant and that's why Al married her but Kelly was born after they got married but maybe you know like a year later so I don't think I don't think Kelly would have been conceived now but pretty soon after high school yes um, I mean if they graduated say 68 they would have got married a couple of years later. So I think we're meant to uh, to know that they got married in 1971, but they would have finished high school 68, 69. And if we go back and assume that the these scenes would take place, the, f- the first scene anyway takes place in 1969, and then this second scene um, is taking place in 1966, if we, go, if we learn, uh, we're basing that on information that we know from past episodes, which, you know, is probably more in favour of being the truth than this episode is because it's written by new writers. And I was just looking up the new the new writers and they were only here for season 11. And they are both actually credited as being executive story editors, which I find funny. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of information on the internet. You can We can all do our own research on that. But yeah, the timeline should be Al scores his four touchdowns. He's still with Peg and then... Um, Peg <laughs> breaks him down, wears him down. They eventually get married. They they find a nice house in the suburbs, and then then they have Kelly. So 
it's sort of yeah, like like a like a traditional family type thing. But Peg certainly didn't go to college, and and Al didn't go to college because, as he says, he's he gets <laughs> knocked out in football and comes to, and he's married and he's got two kids. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. <laughs> he has a knee injury as well. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we could talk about it all night, but you know, not now. <laughs> so yeah, this, this second, these second two flashbacks with Alan Pegg. So we're, okay, they're showing this because of things, you know, big events that take place in the car. And that's what we're talking about here, the car. So we know that Kelly was conceived in the car because that was mentioned way back in season four and season seven as well. So in back in um, Rain Girl, when Bud's showing people around the house. <laughs> we'll conclude the tour with the car that Kelly was conceived in and the garage where she was born. <laughs> and then Peg flat out tells her that in season seven in the old insurance Dodge when the Dodge goes missing. Oh, I'm going to miss the old Dodge. I grew up in it. I went to school in it. I feel like I was born in it. Well, you certainly were conceived in it. <laughs> what did you think of Peggy's makeup and all in that scene? I, I thought she looked fabulous, like the... Oh, I did too. I thought she looked very cute. I mean, it's very, very late 60s. So 60s, you know what I mean? Like, I, I thought she was so hot in that, yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that the makeup is even less subtle than her actual makeup, and then yeah, she's got exactly. the cute, the, the cute. She's still got a beehive, but it's a short, cute flip, so it's very sixties. It's very on point, and now still got his stupid wig on. <laughs> they both look really good. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that's, they pulled it off so well. Like they, they make yeah. him look so younger in in spite of using the same actors. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I look look at it today I was like are they the same people or are they just using different actors you know and uh, it's always it's so ambiguous to me and and they pulled that off so well yeah oh yeah I think the makeup and the hair and makeup team do an amazing job yes they do so anyway other Bundys are trying to get Al to go out and buy a new car but Al doesn't need a new car because he's going to find the part to this one and he can't afford a new car and, anyway and I must say that this is one of my favourite uh, sort of sideline you know, what he calls boarding actors in Marvichal and this car guy I, I don't even know how to describe but he, he is the great one of my favourite people ever in, in a TV show this, this, this cow. He he's the epitome of what I think of as a you know like a used car salesman from America. Oh, like cow! Yeah, he is so he's sleazy. You know, like in when when we think of a used car salesman, we think of this guy. You know, like sleazy in every way, and he has that bow tie yeah. and he has that outfit and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well hold that so thought, Chris, amazing. because he's a, Chris. He's in part two, so we won't discuss him yet. So yeah. he's in only part two. I, I like this guy too, and he's been on Married to Children before as well. He, yeah, I love this guy. I love him. Yeah. But before that, <laughs> we got to finish. Bud's got to let Al know that the, the fuel pump he needs is in Cuba. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let's go through these motions here. Actually, I love I love this scene. I don't need a new car because I'm gonna find the part to this one. There's a rumor that the fuel pump you need is in Cuba. Good luck getting it out of there. Damn Castro, damn Khrushchev, damn Steve Allen. <laughs> yeah, what what what's Steve Allen got to do with it? Nothing. Just I just hate him. 
<laughs> I just hate Steve Allen. <laughs> so, Matt, do you want to tell us about Castro, Khrushchev, and, and Steve Allen? <laughs> yes, uh, happy to. Uh, so, first up... Uh, Fidel Castro, who was born on the 13th of August, 1926, and passed away on the 25th of November, 2016, Cuban communist revolutionary politician, Marxist-Leninist and Cuban nationalist, governed the Republic of Cuba as first secretary of the Communist Party between 1961 and 2011, and prime minister between 59 and 76, president of the Council of State and... and Council of Ministers between 76 and 08, and served as Commander-in-Chief of the Cuban Revolutionary Armed Forces. Under his administration, it became a one-party communist state. Industry and business were nationalised, and state socialist policies were implemented throughout society. Uh, So that's Castro. Next up, Nikita... Sergej, I can't really say. I'm having trouble saying his name. Nikita Sergejevich Kruk. Khrushchev. 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 Thank you, Chris. No, 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 no. Remember, um, remember when you talk about this guy, he's an iconic figure in America. Everybody knows who Khrushchev is. He's sort of, um, he, you know, like, you don't know anything about Soviet Russia, but you know who Khrushchev is. Sort of like, he's sort of a, he's a pop culture figure. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Khrushchev. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how to say this, but uh, <clears throat> let's just put it in this way. There are so many movies in Hollywood that are made. And uh, so it's kind of like when you say Khrushchev, you, you kind of know who he is. You, you, may know, you may not know who anyone else in Soviet Russia is, but you know who this guy is. Yes, yes, well said, Chris. Especially works set in the 50s and 60s because this he was born on the 15th of April, 1894, passed away 11th of September, 1971. He was a leader of the Soviet Union during part of the Cold War, mainly between 1953 and 1964, and, uh, as chairman, and also as chairman of the Council of Ministers, or Premier, between 58 and 64, no, responsible for de-Stalinizing the Soviet Union, and back in the early progress of the Soviet Soviet space program, and, and also which was obviously part of the Soviet space race between them and, and the USA, uh, and and uh, several relatively liberal reforms in areas of domestic policy. So his party colleagues removed him in 1964. And his son, I I I, I don't know what his first name is, but uh, I think he, he he became he migrated to the United States and became a U.S. citizen or something like that. He sort of became a wing of the so uh, propaganda for the Hollywood wing. So uh, I think Nikita Khrushchev's son became a U.S. citizen and became an American. And uh, I think uh, he was also a very prominent figure in the U.S. political figure. Yeah. Sergei was his name. Yes, that's the one. Sergei. That's it. Sergei Khrushchev. That's his name. Yep. Good. Uh, and Steve Allen. And then Steve Allen. So he, Steve Allen was born... On- he was born on the 26th of December, 1921, passed away 30th of October, 2000. He was an American TV personality, radio personality, musician, composer, actor, comedian, writer, and advocate of scientific skepticism. In 1954, he achieved national fame as the co-creator and the first host of The Tonight Show, which was the very first late-night TV talk show. Though he got a start on radio, he's best known for his TV career. 
he gained national attention as a guest host on Arthur, Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts. After his stint in The Tonight Show, he went on to host numerous game and variety shows, including his very own The Steve Allen Show, I've Got a Secret, and The New Steve Allen Show. He was a regular panel member on CBS's What's My Line, and between 77 and 81, wrote, produced, and hosted the award-winning public broadcasting show Meeting of Minds, a series of historical dramas presented in a talk format. And do you remember what Crossy the Clown said on The Simpsons? If this is anyone but Steve Allen, you're stealing my bit. Yes, I watched an episode the other day. Where we watched it the other day, actually. <laughs> yes, good old Krusty the Clown. <laughs> That's incredible. And now it's time for another patented Gabbo crank call. Oh, I love these. I can't believe it. He stole this bit from Krusty. Yeah, well, Krusty stole it from Steve Allen. Oh, everything's stolen nowadays. Why, the fax machine is nothing but a waffle iron with a phone attached. It's ringing. Hello, is this Krusty the Cloud? Is this the callback for that porno film? Look, I was a little nervous that day, but I'm all man. I can assure you. Uh, no, I represent a Japanese camera company. We'd like to pay you $2 million to do a camera commercial. Whoa! Me, Reiki, very much! Uh, oh, I hope I didn't offend you. I need this bad. Bad enough to hit yourself over the head with the phone? Whoa, you got it! Go! Go! Ooh, blood. <laughs> what the? Oh. If this is anyone but Steve Allen, you're stealing my bit. Somebody ought to ruin Gabbo's career the way he ruined Krusty's. Two wrongs don't make a right, Bart. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Dad! Two wrongs make a right, Lisa. So why don't people like Steve Allen? Is he just a, an easy target? Or is just like a, a sense of humor thing just doesn't gel? Or I'm guessing sense of humor, but that's just me because obviously I'm not American and I, uh, even if I was, I'm way too young to have watched any of his shows. Yeah, I mean, this is something that Luigi often comments on, um, that Married Children is written by, for the most part, people who grew up in the 50s and 60s. So all their references are dated to begin with. So someone like Steve Allen, who was popular in the 50s and has remained popular, I mean, he's still popular enough for some new writers to come in and, and make jokes about someone that Al would know from his youth and, and not necessarily like. But I just like that, well, Fidel Castro says the same thing in part two, but we'll, we'll get to that next. It's actually, you know what, uh, I think we are doing a little bit of injustice in terms of... Uh the political aspect of this episode because uh, look uh, I don't have all the information here but I do know that uh, for a fact that there is a very huge political implication to what they are referring which is um, actually that there's a lot of uh, American cars in Cuba uh, uh, like for example the Al's uh, Dodge and the reason why he needs to get the fuel pump from Cuba is because there's a lot of old American cars um, that are in Cuba currently uh, due to the this embargo, and uh, and that that's what he meant by saying "damn Castro, damn Kennedy, damn Steve Allen," and what does Steve Allen has to do with this? And uh, nothing. I just hate him. Uh, but uh, it, it, I think it, the 1959 Cuban Revolution and the import. Uh, of in embargo meant that uh, there's a lot of American cars that were from that era that were stuck in Cuba. 
and if Al wanted to get a fuel pump, then they, he had to refer to Cuba. Al finds out that there's a part, well, the fuel pump he needs might be in Cuba. And this is after something we glossed over was Peg, Kelly, and Bud in between combing the classifieds. <laughs> they are searching all over the world to sell off parts of Al's Dodge. They've put so much thought and effort into this that they've actually got different time zones on their clocks on the flip side of their coffee table. (laughs) So that's how much work that they've put into this. So, yeah, maybe Bud did steal the laptop, I don't know, but they also stopped some clocks. It's a classic example of the continuity era. You know, like, we, we think of Bundys as these poor people who can't afford anything, and then we see them having these laptops and all that shit. <laughs> and, but at the same time, you know, like, they're, they're trading with people in Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> or Germany or whatever. And this is when Al's out of the room, of course. But when he comes back and then uh, Jefferson comes in and Jefferson's got a cute little present. And that's when Bud says, oh, the, there's a rumor that the fuel pump you'll need is in Cuba. And this kicks off Jefferson reminiscing about Cuba. Ah, Cuba. (laughs) Sultry, seductive Cuba. Where the jungles are friendly and the women are easy to hide in. (laughs) Or was it the other way around? The women are... Yeah, Jefferson, listen. Thanks, buddy, for stopping by. I tell you, I don't know how I can repay you. Oh, just uh, keep wearing the air freshener. And and that is incredible because it eventually leads to this whole scene with uh, this chemistry between Jefferson and Fidel Castro. But uh, we already knew this from previous episodes where Jefferson was a CIA agent. Remember, I, I can't remember, I, I don't know the name by heart, but... Uh, I want my psycho uh, dad. But, yeah, psycho dad. Yeah, exactly. The psycho dad episode where they go to the they go to the Washington DC, DC episode and, you know, like take over the... <laughs> they take over the Washington... the. You know what I mean, like, they they go to D.C., yeah. they take over the whole, uh, so, yeah, anyway, so, and, uh, and, and this sort of, sort of, uh, connects with that, because, uh, we, we kind of realize that Jefferson has all these connections that we previously don't know about, yeah. Yeah, and I, I do like that this didn't come out of the blue, and it is something they did establish relatively recently, so, yeah, in season season eight season nine and now in season 11 so it will expand on that in part two because first we've got yet another flashback yes um this one going back to around uh looks like 1974 considering bud looks to be less than one year old that dodge is part of the bundy family history <laughs> ah, bud my little man the boy i always wanted peg oh. Now, Al, you're going to hurt little Kelly's feelings. You know, Phil Donahue says that if a father ignores his daughter, she could develop an abnormal craving for male attention. (laughs) Phil Donahue is full of crap. (laughs) Yo, Mommy, Daddy, Bud's touching himself. Ah, don't worry about that, Kelly. That's just a phase he's going through. He'll grow out of it. Why don't you give him one of your rubber dollies to play with instead? Yeah, I don't know if that's such a good idea, Pat. Oh, come on, Al. You and your gender stereotypes. What difference does it make? You're right! (laughs) Ma, 
Mommy, Daddy, did you know the possums are the only indigenous marsupial to North America? <laughs> Gee, that's great, sweetheart. What the hell did she just say? <laughs> worried about her, Al. Ever notice how she's always got her head buried in a book? Yeah, she's, she's not like us, is she, Peg? Of course, on the bright side, you know, she'll grow up and go to college, get a great job, and support us in our old age. <laughs> Al, look out! Damn Japanese cars! <laughs> so small you can't even see them out. They'll never catch on. Ow! Kelly, are you all right? <laughs> Look, shiny, shiny, shiny. <laughs> Continuity within the flashback. So, if Kelly was conceived in nineteen ninety, uh, uh, sorry, in nineteen sixty six. So she's about, what, seven years old here? Eight, nine, so maybe seven. And yeah, Bud's a baby. So Bud could be, you know, up to 18 months old, let's say. Yeah, yeah, so this is 74, 75 as far as I'm concerned. So this is Al reminiscing about another time in the in the Dodge back when it was red. And so the big occasion that happens in this flashback is that this is when Kelly becomes dumb. So she started off as a, a very smart character. And, she, you know, she's reading, she's, she's, she's dropping facts left and right. Um, she's very astute for someone so young, you know, Bud is touching himself. It's like, ew. And then she knocks her head after <laughs> Al has an encounter with a Japanese car, which will never catch on. And then she looks around, shiny, shiny shoes which is something that Kelly has herself has said before. I'll, I'll ask your opinions on this scene, but I just wanted to say that the the little girl who's playing young Kelly in this scene, I thought was very well cast. Yes, I agree. Um, yes, her name is Hannah Swanson. And just, just for a reference, it's very unfortunate that the Bundyology website is currently down. Um, I really hope it comes back because way back in 2000, a friend of mine by the name of Aid Bundy, he um, was in email contact with this actress. Her name is Hannah. Um, so in the year 2000, this is, you know, four years after she was on Married with Children, he and uh, Hannah, with the help of her uh, mother, I think it was, had a an email interview. And I and Aid asked me to contribute one or two questions to this um, interview as well and that was in conjunction with Bundyology so A did the interviewing via email and it was all published on Bundyology so Bundyology is currently down but thanks to the web archive so webarchive.org you can find a snapshot of the Bundyology site and if you go into the interviews section you'll see an interview in others and it says an interview with Hannah Swanson who played young Kelly so that's an interview that I had a small part in back in the year 2000 but i will post the link on facebook when this episode drops so it's just an aside i mean she's a very nice girl and she didn't have to indulge us at all but just um 
in her own time she just responded to a few questions it was basically like what was the audition process like and and tell us about the part and like how you got it and what other shows and and things have you auditioned for and so you can look her up on imdb i assume she's still acting i'm not sure but that's something she wanted to do she started when she was seven so this is probably one of her very first gigs ever yeah she said you know the cast were all very nice and there is a picture out there with uh in the makeup room which is it's her and christina together so i will find that picture as well if I still have it and if it's still out there. But yeah, I mean, she's very cute. Like like the actual Kelly. I'm not, I, I, all I got to say is that I'm not white. So um, I, so if, if her name is Hannah, I, I assume she's Jewish. So, so, uh, oh, okay. I, I, I must, yeah, so I, I, I just do think that on this situation and this was a very powerful moment for her and, go, and good for her for, actually doing doing that but unfortunately due to the circumstance and everything yeah it kind of uh, you know didn't work out the way it should have I- i'm sorry but I- i'm not very good with when it comes to commenting on politics well that's why we try to steer away from those kind of subjects i was just looking up hannah swanson on imdb and the last acting credit for her or any credit is there's one in 2000 and then there's one in 2003 so maybe she stopped acting not long after this interview but the whole thing about kelly being being smart and being dumb i mean if you think back to season one of married with children she was relatively speaking anyway a smart character back then yes it is exactly i mean i remember i used to live with a girl who was a lesbian and uh uh, a teenage lesbian uh, when I uh, uh, back in the early 90s and all and she used to she, she, she loved Mary children just because of Kelly you know like she was like this hot teenage girl who was sort of very sexy and you know like she, she said things that were funny and everything and and uh, and then suddenly she went on from being that character to this stereotypical dumb dog kind of uh, character and and in every way, I can see why people are sort of, uh, you know, like uh, offended by that that whole transition. But uh, at, at the end of the day, that's just what the society sort of uh, perceived her to be. You know, like uh, she she's a dom blonde and this has nothing to do with uh, feminism or you know, like uh, a race or sex or anything that is politically motivated. And I, I was so surprised too, because I remember when I watched the season one, two, three, four, yeah, she was never meant to be someone who was dumb. She was just meant to be like a typical teenager who is going through all these sort of conflict and all these situations. And then, and then all of a sudden by season five, she was this dumb blonde character and that was the stereotype that completely defined her character. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, look, uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say about that. I think that's just, uh, that's just how network TV operates. A- at that time, you perceive, this, this is what majority of the people perceive yeah, your character to be. If you're like a female who is blonde and who is like, of that age group, then you're supposed to be dumb. So, Matt, what did you think about this flashback? This flashback to 1974 slash five. If we're to assume that's it. Well, that, that's what that's that's the way I that's the way I see things. And uh, 
Well, you know, um, nice bit. Of, you know, you know. Obviously, you know, Bud's already himself despite being a baby. Kelly, um, her intelligence started to decline then, which kind of contradicts um, season one. And that she, she was a little thick in season one, but uh, she wasn't super thick as she was in season two, three onward. So. Yes, and obviously, uh, you know, Peg, st- Peg likes her Phil Donahue still. Uh, Oprah, I don't think, is a TV show at this point in time. Uh, well, it wasn't until 86, but uh, yes, Peg still loves her TV. And <laughs> Couldn't help but notice, um, I wonder where that stock footage in the background came from, because uh, it looks a lot older than 1996, or if it was recent stock footage, it uh, looks at least tinted to look older. And uh, I also noticed Al Dis's Japanese cars, which were, at, at the time, become, just becoming big both in Australia and in the US. Yes, I re- you remember um, Planet Commando, like, uh, which was like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, uh, back in 19, uh, early, late 80s and early 90s. And you, you see this character in, in, in it, like he, he's going into a car showroom and, and the car salesman say, you think the Japanese did this? Bullshit. You know, like and he's trying to sell a, a, an African-American um, buy into an, um, to a Cadillac, which is an American-made sort of a muscle car. You know what I mean? And, and you see that throughout uh, Mary Children as well, like, you know, like, you see, uh, the, there was a Japanese girl who, in a, in a lingerie shop, and Al says, let's see the Japanese try to build a better one of these. Uh, 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 I mean, it, it, it was sort of the cultural perception at the time, you know, like, the, you know, you've got to buy American cars, uh, and uh, because uh, there's this competition out there uh, by the Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, Peggy, Peggy mentions Phil Donahue. Because, um, like you say, Oprah wasn't a thing yet. So, the Phil Donahue show started in 1967, which is which is a long time ago. But it does fit in with the timeline that they're depicting here. So, but so he sort of started this whole talk show thing. So he's to blame for Peg Bundy. <laughs> and it was a great. It was a very progressive show for that time. I mean, I can't even believe you talk about how progressive it was when you think about. Like Phil Donahue was probably one of the few few shows that talked about the violence in American uh, movies that that were contributing to uh, all kinds of shit, like the you know like the mass shootings and everything else that was happening. Yeah. It was a very progressive show for its time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah totally. Definitely. So the shiny shiny shoes quote. That's you remember Kelly saying that that exact line back in season nine in A Man for No Seasons. The baseball yeah. episode. She's got shiny yeah. shoes. And it's true, you know what I mean? Like, I hate to say it, like, I got daughters. I, I'm a father, uh, and I got, like, two daughters and one son. There, there's so much that I understand that it's true. Like, uh, when, I, when I look at movies like uh, Once we Were We Were Warriors, you know, which is like a, a New Zealand show. Yes. We, we, yeah, like, exactly. And we, we know how important it is as fathers to actually pay attention to our daughters because when we don't our daughters can be in very bad situations and uh, you know like in, in once we were worried we see our daughter being raped by uh, someone you know like uh, because we, we know them because we are just so fixated on being this masculine figure you know 
like and and, and that's the thing though that I, and and I think Arabic children are so such pioneers in introducing these concepts that that as men that we need to pay attention to our wives and our daughters uh, in a way that because if we don't that it can lead into these really tragic situations yeah. Yeah, so thank you for bring, bringing it up, uh, Chris. And uh, I always remember watching Once the Warriors as part as part of um, Year Ten Health class when I was fifteen. Uh, oh my gosh! I don't know how my teacher got away of showing that to my class, but anyway. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that that's the thing, though. That's why we are we are having these conversations. We we just need to know that you know, like it, it's not all about us being men and badasses and just uh, know whatever the fuck but we, as men we need to pay attention to the women in our lives and we need to understand that uh, women they are the nurturers and they are the ones who uh, you know like uh, uh, that cultivate the beauty and the culture around us and 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 that that's why it, it, this, it, it's just so important that as men that we, we pay attention to the everything around us instead of just trying to act like you know like we are some sort of unhinged badasses in our life that who, who, who shouldn't who, who should just concentrate on being men we need to concentrate on being uh, you know paying attention to why it is uh, important for us to pay attention to the women and their daughter our daughters and our children and everything and we need to cultivate all that stuff and it, it, it's it's a part of what it makes us men you know it, it, it's not it, it's not just all all about just it's not just all about being selfish and all about being tough or you know like uh, badasses it, it's all about <coughs> cultivating everything around us and protecting everything so like our, like we have to pay attention to what our daughters do because like like for instance i have a daughter like like she's a teenager and i need to make sure that i i actually protect her from wanting to do anything stupid in her life like uh, i need to make sure that I uh, pay attention to what makes her secure, what makes her insecure. Uh, I have to make sure that she doesn't, uh, that I, I am the pillar in her life as a man. But first, uh, Chris, the the make the hair and makeup in this last flashback, that's pretty good as well. Especially Peg's huge earrings. And Al's got another ridiculous wig, which I, I swear he's worn on the show before. Probably has, probably one of the other 70s flashbacks, like in the season 7 Christmas episode. Yep, that's the one I was thinking. So back back in present day, Al goes to tend to the car again with Jefferson. They they flip the table around again, which is <laughs> so silly. But Bud says a collector in Dusseldorf will give them five grand for the entire engine. I'm assuming that's five thousand dollars, not Deutschmarks. Well, that's what I assume as well. I mean, I'm assuming it's American because Bud knows what five grand is, but he might know the worth of of uh, Deutschmark, but. I assume five grand in American dollars, yes. Unbelievable. A collector in Dusseldorf will give us five grand for the entire engine. Forget it. Dad is never going to take the car off life support. Yeah, we'll see about that. Tell Gunther he's got a deal. 
but you know i will never take the car off life support but and then peg peg says tell gunther he's got a deal and then she goes into the into the shed into the garage or the garage to um talk al out of keeping his car alive and says let her die with dignity yes but this is not up to us peg now this will cool you down now (laughs) al honey this is no kind of life for her let her die with dignity Peg, that is not up to us. That is up to the man upstairs and maybe Lee Iacocca. <laughs> okay. This is up to the man upstairs and maybe Lee Iacocca. Yeah, let's talk about... So, uh, yeah, Lee Iacocca. La, la, let's talk about this guy. So, I know that for a, for a fact that, you know, I, for recently I, we watched a, I watched a movie about uh, Ford versus Ferrari and how Henry Ford uh, wanted to build this car that was... Uh, you know, very epitome, a meek of American culture, you know, like a working class man building a car that uh, goes against the whole bourgeoisie, upper bourgeoisie, you know, like Ferrari, you know, like a high upper class, you know, like a super sports car. So, um, and uh, I think uh, that that's why this guy is so well celebrated in America, because he built, uh, like Henry Ford wanted to build a car, that went against the elite European uh, sort of a, you know, like a sports car. And, and this guy was instrumental in that whole process. So expensive Ferrari going up against the Ford GD40 and the Ford GD40 wins uh, the whole race in terms of performance and everything. So I, I, I think that's what Married Children is referring to here because Married Children is a show about working class uh, people and he's referring to a car that was uh, built by working class men that went against a very elitist European uh, sports car. Yes. Yeah. Well said. So just just some basic information. Lee is short for Lido. Lido Anthony Iacocca. And he was born in 1924 and he passed away in 2019. So he was the American automobile executive best known for the development of the Ford Mustang and the Ford Pinto while at Ford in the 1960s and for reviving the Chrysler Corporation in the 1980s. So he was president and CEO of Chrysler from 78 and chairman from 79 until his retirement at the end of 92. And he was one of the few executives to preside over the operations of two of the big three, quote-unquote big three automakers. So, yeah, huge deal. Have you guys watched the film uh, Gone in 60 Seconds? Oh, I can't remember if I saw that back in, in the 90s. I think there were two versions of it. One of them is the recent one, but then there was also an older one that was like a few decades old. I think the recent I haven't one seen Ford had, versus had, Ferrari. No, I haven't seen yeah, it either. The recent one had an Angelina Jolie and uh, was a Nick Cage in it. But I think um, the whole, whole concept is that they were celebrating uh, a car called uh, Eleanor, which is like a Ford uh, Cobley, I think, uh, Sh- Shelby Cobra, something like that. But, uh, but uh, I, think, I think the whole concept of it is that, that, that American working class men build a car that, that can uh, compete against the elitist European super hypercars or supercars you know what i mean like it's sort of like working class versus uh, the elite type of concept 
you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so, yeah, so the, this is sort of one of those things that has been in the movie, Hollywood culture for a very long time. So maybe Lee Iacocca and the man upstairs have decided that Al's Dodge is going to die. Yes. Because it does. She's in a better place now. Oh, no. (laughs) Now look, Al, I am going to say this in the most supportive and loving way that I possibly can. You are insane, and I am killing this car. (laughs) 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 Don't leave me alone. (laughs) I hope you're happy, Peg. She's gone. Her oil is on your hands. Her oil is all over town. (laughs) Why couldn't it have been me? Or you? Oh, honey, let it go. Yeah, Dad. You did all you could. Hey, I know we're supposed to be sad, but I can't cry. What should I do? Just pull the nose hair. What a German chop shop? Huh? Not a German chop shop. <laughs> you can see the connection there, right? Like he's, they're talking about the working class Americans building a car that will, uh, you know, stand the test of time. So that, that's what they're trying to sell you here. Daddy's Dodge is in that big parking structure in the sky. Where the gas flows free and the traffic lights are always green. <laughs> We're sorry, Dad. And we'll be right back. With our reviews. Yes, well, Al lowers the bonnet one last time, and the rest of the family are celebrating like it's 1999 almost. Drive towards the light, old friend. (laughs) Drive towards the light. No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Yes. How many damn Japanese cars are you going to give this episode? Well, Annabelle, I used to drive a damn Japanese car, my uh, now sadly gone Mazda, which is now up in that big park- car park where the light's always green and uh, the petrol always flows free. Uh, I'll have to give I'll have to, another two, so in total, three. So this, I'll pass you the third part two, but we'll get to that next week. Uh, for this episode, now... I'll, I'm not the world's biggest car guy, however, I still like, appreciate a good car. I've, um, ever since I was a boy, I've got a... Sitting here, I can see a book, Cars of the Century, which I read a lot when I was a boy, which about cars from the turn of the 1900s right up to the end of the 90s, and uh, so I don't know a fair bit about uh, cars. So I quite like quite like this one for quite a few reasons, even though um, like the, the flashbacks really dragged it down, especially the first two, their holes and whatnot. But uh, you can tell Al loves his car, and... Uh, 
Well, and a quick personal note, uh, when we when, when we were looking through episodes to do this season, I wanted to do this one uh, as, in that year of 2020, when I was going through Married to Children for the third full viewing, we watching it for this podcast was the fourth viewing for this episode, uh, I remember um, that day I got the news that my best friend had passed away from his housemate, um, and it was coincidentally up to this episode that day, and I thought... Uh, this is all a bit befitting, so I still watched it, and uh, yeah, so it hit home for me a bit that day. Uh, that's why I wanted to do this this two-parter. So, yes, and uh, I know, I, I know. Obviously, Ke- Kelly. Well, Kelly was really downplayed in this episode, and the writers didn't do a character justice. Uh, I did like the comedic version of ER parody, and uh, I also liked the um, unintentional, as they wouldn't have known what it was, uh, reference of Ted Bullpitch, the way Al talks with his dodge like she's human, much like Ted Bullpitch did to his Kingswood in that show. And I like the flashback of Al's dad, uh, Kelly making animal noises, the car pissing oil on Al. Uh, yes, and even just things like how, you know... Ow, the garage door was closed. You're feeling the toxic fumes. How are you not dead? Because you're a real-life cartoon running in the car for that long. Uh, all 60.9 litres of its fuel tank. Uh, yeah, so all in all, I have three dang Japanese cars for this episode. One of which is my dead Mazda. And our driver, Hyundai, Kelly Epona, partially named after Kelly Bundy. Very good. Very well said. So, Chris, how many... Damn Japanese cars. Are you going to rate this episode out of five? Look, uh, I was kind of... Um, I I thought that a lot of what I said kind of bombed before. So, and going by what Matt was saying, and he was such a good sport he was. And, uh, you know, like uh, how brilliantly aligned he is with the essence of what we are talking about here. Uh, I would say that, you know, like Al Bundy, he's like this American and he is pissed with where the things are going and, you know, like how everything is being and compromised and everything and, and uh, you know, like he like he's living at an era where, you know, everything that he values is being eroded in so many ways. His idea... Of a Japan, uh, of a car, perfect car, is something that is so tough that it, it, it even when it things fall apart, that uh, you know there can be like a duct tape that can hold things together. You are driving a car, and you are like this imperfect human being who is knocking up this slot from Milwaukee, <laughs> whatever like that. You expect this automobile to carry you through the bad decisions you make in your life. And there we are. My favorite scene in Married Children, Kelly combing the classified that joke. Certainly not. <laughs> I mean, I'm just uh, trying to be sarcastic here. But, oh my goodness, yes, I think... Um, this is um, this is definitely um, I think one of the worst jokes <laughs> in the series, and just uh, there, there are so many misfires here. But on the plus side, though, when she does uh, talk about it, uh, there is a great scene where you know Peggy looks genuinely concerned about how dumb Kelly is. She she gives this very 
type of a, you know like a like a very concerned type of a smile and then she tells to bart oh bart promise me when <laughs> when we are old you look after her <laughs> and bart says no i'm going to have my own wife and my own uh, you know like a family and all <laughs> <laughs> and then and Peggy just goes sure so you're both delusional <laughs> I do love um, the way Peg looks in this scene you know the hoop earrings and the makeup and uh, I, I I think the little Kelly is adorable for, especially when she's reading all that stuff and else like yeah, yeah she's not like us isn't she Peg and there's a reference to Donahue which mind you i remember when i first got satellite tv in the 90s donahue show was kind of a big thing and i i absolutely loved it uh, you know the whole the controversial stuff and we also learn about how kelly became dumb because she was a genius who who was talking about possums uh, which mind you i'm always i always thought that possums are uh, are an australian thing because you know there are plenty of possums in my land where i live so but i never realized that uh, this is uh, also and uh, you know they have their american counterparts but uh, we also learn here that uh, you know kelly becomes dumb because of the damn japanese cars <laughs> which will never catch on but um, i guess uh, we can i think it's safe to say that uh, a japanese car uh, or a driver of a japanese car is responsible for um, turning kelly from a genius into this uh, blonde dimwit shiny shiny shoes but hey let's see a japanese try to build a better one of those eh <laughs> all things considered i would expect two japanese cars So yeah, uh, uh, this is one of my all-time favorite episodes, and I I do believe that there's a lot that goes into, you know, you just expect things to be perfect, but I think uh, two is kind of the number that I'm kind of expecting to carry through. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair, Chris. As for myself. I hovered between two scores, incidentally right in between your two scores. So I was originally going to go for two and a half, but I think I will give it a three because I realized that I actually enjoyed the flashback episodes more than I used to. Or perhaps I appreciate them more. However, I really really do not like the continuity issues. It's especially when you're a mega nerd about something and there's always continuity issues with especially with sitcoms it's it's so annoying so i i do actually enjoy these these two episodes i enjoy i think like you might i enjoy part 2 slightly better but we'll come to that next week but for this episode on its own on its own merit i enjoy it i will say after season 10 that it's nice to have the bundy family back together for the most part I think that has up to another half a point in my book. The first two flashbacks are actually pretty good and I enjoyed them. I thought they were cute and um the the costumes and the makeup and all the references, you know, I enjoy a good stones joke and you know, it's they're fun. Except for the continuity issues, I mean the main one being with um Kelly having been conceived the night that Al scores his four touchdowns. I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that at all. But I can't keep harping on that because it's done and dusted. Anyway, the jokes for the most part are very weak. They're they're pretty lame. 
there's a couple of good laughs in here, but like Chris said, um, Kelly's jokes don't land well at all. Especially the combing and the classifieds. Yes, it's an easy joke. It's an easy laugh, but it's too obvious a joke. You know, back when when Kelly first became a dumb character, I mean, in Married with Children, not in Flashback Land, they would be a lot subtler, for lack of a better word, with the, with the dumb jokes, um, and they were cleverer. But now they got to a point where either they've exhausted all their their options or there's just you know it's just lazy writing by new writers who haven't been here before um uh, so one of my other uh, another reason i like it is uh, one of my favorite moments is peg says to bud oh you'll look after kelly after al and i die won't you bud says i'll have my own wife and kids to think about then and peg just laughs at him <laughs> <laughs> i just like that i think that peg looks so incredibly sexy in those scenes like they yeah um, i think that l- l- like the outfits they have on her just the uh, leopard skins type type of tight pants they have on and, but but not just that whenever like kelly says something so stupid like she has this smile on her face that is so cartoonish those moments where like Kelly would say something so stupid or Bud would say something so stupid and she would sort of react with that, that type of laughter. Uh, uh, lo- the, the whole Looney Tunes type of... And I, I think uh, uh, they do it so perfectly. <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, it is, it is a full-blown cartoon at this point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly, and I think Married Children sort of uh, exploit that so well that those moments uh, full credit to that. Yeah, I mean it's it's just so cartoonish. Like all aspects of the show are cartoonish at this point. But that being said, I do think Peg has some of the greatest reactions in in the show, and this goes back to you know the whole series. I mean, the one I think about is her reactions when she meets Vinnie Varducci. It's just how dumb he is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think the whole, uh, what, what is it, uh, Gemmaro in uh, Sons of Energy is, is sort of a perfect uh, cross between and uh, between a white American woman and a Italian American woman yeah, in, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that, and she was incredible on in that show. And, and she's incredible in Married with Children, and she looks incredible, as we said before here as well and I think uh, a lot to do with it is A she's back full time because in season 10 she was gone for half the season and she's just had a baby so now she's got her her pre-baby body back so she does look extra sexy and yeah they keep putting her in tight clothes so obviously she had to get back into shape but yeah I think it's really great that uh, like I said the Bundy family is back together and that Peg is back full time and also you don't really notice until you watch part 2 that Marcy is not in this episode and I thought that maybe it's because um, she directed this one but she actually directed part 2 which she is in so I don't know what's going on there but anyway I mean there's I mean they, they Marcy and Jefferson weren't really needed in this episode and Jefferson only has a short little scene and that's just to set up what he's going to do in part 2 so there's no Marcy, very little Jefferson. Kelly and Bud, are, Bud's used okay. Kelly's not because she's got a lot of, she's got the majority or the bulk of all the crappy jokes. Um, Alan Pegg, the flashbacks are really fun. It's nice to see them a interact and have scenes together, just the two of them, and b um, 
uh, just just to have them together and also just <laughs> to see how goofy and, and in love Al was back then. And there's a lot of references that we have either discovered quite late in the game or have discovered they're quite dated. So there's you know a bit of um, plus and, and, and negative for, for that. But I, again, I still like the, the pop culture references, like the Rolling Stones, like I said. So all in all, I enjoyed the flashbacks. I enjoyed a couple of little scenes. I hated the jokes for the most part. Some of the references were lazy as well. Um, so I will sit at three damn Japanese cards because I can't go any higher than that. And will my score improve in part two? Well, you're just going to have to stick around and find out. And in the meantime, drive towards the light, my friend. Drive towards the light. <laughs>